You know, as, as your pastor, my, my deepest desire is for you to flourish in life, for you to have a great marriage, for you to honestly take the one and only God-given life that you have, and when you come to the end of it, to say, you know what, I didn't waste it. I gave it everything that I had. You know, I think there is something innate in all of us that often says, my life was made for something. I remember feeling it from a very, very young age, like, man, I I just feel like I'm called to do something great. And I think that we all feel that at a time in our lives when we were kids. You remember when you were seven, eight years old, and and people would ask you, what do you want to be whenever you grow up? And you would just list anything, right? I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a scientist. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman. And limitations weren't even something that you thought about. If you thought that you wanted to do it in your mind, that's just exactly what you were going to do. But then what happened? Later on, you learned some things about life, and life just beats the mess out of you, and your dreams begin to diminish, and you say, oh, I can't, I can't do that. And I think what oftentimes what happens is we begin to diminish the call and the purpose that God has placed on our life based on the limitations that we may feel. So simply what I want to talk about this morning is we have a choice to make. We can live a decent, good life or we can live a great life. I want to look back at the end of my life when I'm about to breathe my last breath or whatever it may be and to look back just like Paul says and says, man, you know what? I gave it everything that I had. There wasn't a moment, there wasn't a day, there wasn't a week, there wasn't a year that passed by where I just said, you know what, forget it, I just wasted it. Because the truth is, you only get one life. You only get one shot at this. You know, if you're anything like me, where maybe you've experienced some things that have kind of uh, made you realize how fragile life is, maybe this will make a little bit more sense to you. But um, in the past almost three years, I feel like I've, been, I've, I've almost been taken out twice uh, I crashed on a moped. <laughs> I usually say motorcycle because it sounds better. But um, I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to tell the truth, right? So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and then in April this year, I got in a horrible car accident, totaled my car. Um, as a pastor, I'm often, you know, confronted with death. Um, I've literally held hands with people that have taken their last breath. Um, It's a morbid thing, it's a crazy thing, but it's also um, something that puts life into perspective when you realize how fragile and how short it is. Uh, We had a a woman in here that helped us start the church um, who was absolutely instrumental in kicking off OSC Kids, and she was um, 50 years old, and, and she passed away this year. I was with her as she took her final breath, so I was able to see that and take a look at that. And when you witness things like that, you realize, man, I don't want to just live a life that's good. I want to live a life on purpose, on mission. I want my life to mean something. And listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of you in here have given up on your dreams. Some of you have given up on living a great life and you're just settling for good. I'm just settling for, I just want to make it. I just want to pay the rent, pay my bills, keep my lights on, and watch Netflix. And you've settled for that kind of life. And the truth is, there's so much more than that. And if I want to do anything today, I just want to reignite some dreams inside of you. 
Maybe some dreams that you had when you were seven years old, eight years old, and the enemy over life has just squashed them. God wants to bring those things back to life and says, listen, I see more in you. I see greatness in you. Every single person on this earth was created and fashioned and designed by God. So let me ask you a question. If you were created in the image of God, do you think that you were created just to sit around? You were designed in the image of God. If you're designed in the image of God, if you're his son, you're his daughter, then your life was created for a purpose. You have a mission. And today I want to give you three ingredients to live a life that truly matters. Not just a good life, but a great life. The first thing is this. You've got to give yourself to a purpose greater than yourself. You have to give yourself to a purpose that is greater than yourself. You will never become great on your own. You've got to surround yourself with a cause. Every single person in this room needs a purpose. You need a cause. You need something to live for. This is why living for Jesus is so important. Because when you attach yourself to his kingdom, you begin to realize that life is so much more meaningful when you're living for something else just than yourself. So you've got to give yourself to a purpose that's greater than yourself. See, the greatest cause that you can give yourself to is God's plan and God's purpose for your life. And I know what many people of you, many people are thinking in here, well, I don't really know God's plan for my life. I've been searching for 20-something years, 40 years, and I, I don't really feel like I know what God's plan is for my life. I'll tell you this, God's plan for your life is for you to be a part of his family. That's step number one. He wants you to be a part of his family. And what is God's family? God's family is the church. I'll tell you this. In community, you begin to realize what your purpose is. Because it all kind of works together. And many of us don't know God's plan or purpose for our life because the truth is we're not connected to his family. See, if you're struggling to find your purpose in life, you've got to get connected to family. You've got to get connected to something that is greater than you. This is why I love this church, because at the end of the day, church for us, it's not about a building. It's not about the sign on the wall. Ultimately, at the end of the day, this church is about who we are and people. It goes way beyond what we have or what we don't have. Here's the truth. One day, great organizations will fade away, and the only thing that's going to remain is spiritual family. Do you know that the church is the only organization that has stood the test of time for millennia? It's the only thing that has not failed. It has actually been around longer than the IRS, if you can believe it or not. It has stood the test of time. It has gone through hardships. It has gone through some, some weird times, but it has made it. And listen to me. When you get to that final day in your life, the only thing that's going to matter is who you're connected with. And the, the people that you have chosen to do life with. See, Matthew 24, verse 14 puts it this way. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. When the end comes, what will you have lived your life for? What will you have given yourself to? And listen, at the end of the day, we want it to be 
for a purpose that is greater than ourselves. So the second thing that we've got to do. Number one, you've got to give yourself to a purpose that is greater than yourself. Number two, join with great people committed to that purpose. You'll never do great things by yourself. You need other people that are walking down the same path as you. You need people that will push you. People that will see you when you find yourself in a slump. People that will have the boldness to look at you and say, man, I, I saw where you were two months ago and where your relationship with Jesus was at. You were, man, you were doing awesome. And man, now I kind of see you and you're, you're falling apart. Like, what can we do to help? Everybody needs people like that. See, the truth is, every person in history that would be considered great has a list of people in life that they're doing it with. Behind every great move of God, behind every person that you would consider, that's a person that is living their life on purpose and they've done great things. There's always a team of people behind that. Always. They have never gotten to that place on their own. Ever. Ever. 1 Corinthians puts it this way. We work together as partners who belong to God. Everybody needs a partner. And for all you single people, I'm not talking about a wife or a husband. Everybody needs somebody that they do life with. Somebody that's going to push them. Somebody that's going to encourage them. To be honest with you, you need people that are going to look you in the face and say, hey, I'm concerned for you. Every single person in here needs somebody that will offend them in the right way. And here's what I mean by this. We, we, we're moving, I don't know if you've noticed it in the past five years, but we're moving more and more and more and more towards a culture that nobody wants to tell anybody the truth. Everybody just, I want to surround myself with people that just tell me I'm amazing. I want to surround myself with people that you are a princess, you are a fairy, you are a pony. You will do great things. and Everybody needs people that will encourage them, and you also need people that are willing to offend you because they love you. Hey, you're actually not as good as you think you are. You're actually not as good as you think you are, but if you did this, you could probably get better. I'm not talking about people that are negative and people that will cut you down. I'm talking about people that will give you constructive criticism. And the best place to get this is the family of God, the people that you surround yourself by. You see it even on sports teams, right? Hey, nobody loses, everybody gets a trophy. How many of you know that's just not how life works? This is not how it works. I hate the fact that we're living in a day and age like you get a trophy for what? For participating? Give me a break. You showed up. Good job. You're still a horrible player. <laughs> right? And it may sound harsh, but it is true. We've got to come to a place where we can look at people and say, listen, you're great, you have a talent, you would succeed in this. Honestly, you should probably try something else. And that's not trying to be rude or offensive. Honestly, we need people like that. See, the family of God is why God created this earth. He never intended for you to figure out your purpose alone. I've used this illustration for years, but this is the importance in the doctrine of the Trinity. So you got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Even God lives in community, so what makes you think that you can't? God does life in community. It even says in the scriptures that he is surrounded by angels singing holy, 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 constantly. He's doing life 
with others, yet we fall into this false illusion that we can just do it ourselves, and I'll fix my own problems and I'll just continue how I've been my entire life and eventually things will get better. Everyone needs a family, everyone needs a church to call home, and everybody needs a place that they can belong. Everybody. If you don't have these things, you're going to have a really hard time living a great life, and you're going to have a really hard time figuring out what your purpose is here on this earth. The third thing that you've got to do, you've got to make the most of great opportunities. Make the most of great opportunities. See, the truth is great opportunities are around us. And many of us just don't realize it. Making the most of eight great opportunities is actually a skill that has to be learned. Uh, Ephesians 5.16 puts it this way. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good. So today I want to teach you how to seize those opportunities that are all around us. I want to give you four lessons that I've learned along the way in my short life. Number one, I must say no to good opportunities so I can say yes to great ones. I must say no to good opportunities so I can say yes to great opportunities. Let me just tell you this. You don't have time to do everything that you want to do. You just simply don't. We all have 24 hours in a day. And too many of us say yes to things that we should not be doing. And the reason that we feel overwhelmed and stressed out is because we say yes to everything. You're passing up great opportunities and you're settling for good ones because you're saying yes to everything. See, some of us just need to learn to say no. See, you can't keep adding things to your schedule without cutting something out. Man, we live in this crazy, stressed out world where like everybody that walks through these doors, how was your week? It was busy and I'm stressed. Like almost 99.9% of you would probably answer that, right? I'm stressed. I'm busy. Why? Because you're saying yes over and over and over and over again to things that you probably shouldn't. Too many of us, think of this illustration, too many of us keep loading the boat with more stuff even as it continues to sink and then we ask ourselves, why am I so stressed out? Because you're saying yes to everything. See, greatness starts with getting things off of your plate and learning to say no. You know, some of the most successful people in the world actually do very little, but they do very little very well. They do very little very well. They have four or five things that they focus on all day, and they just master those things rather than loading up their schedule. You know, some of the most, I I find it interesting, um, some of the most actually successful people in the world, they wear the same thing every single day. Do you see, some people are like, that's amazing, I would just love that. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the guy who created Facebook, he wears a gray t-shirt with blue jeans and tennis shoes every day. I remember seeing a video of his closet and there's just like 10 gray t-shirts, 10 blue jeans. I tried that one time, I was like, this is boring, (laughs) right? Steve Jobs, he had, his, his, he had his like signature black shirt, blue jeans, white tennis shoes. And you look at that and you're like, that is dumb. Those guys were incredibly focused. And I'm not saying that we should go to this length, okay? Don't, don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is you've got to learn to say, what is my purpose here on this earth? And let me focus on those things. Because the things that don't add value or benefit, or if it's not pursuing my calling in life, then I probably should not be doing them. 
Just because it's a good opportunity doesn't mean you should take it. Think about it this way. I want you to think about this. What if good opportunities are just distractions that keep us from great ones? What if good opportunities are just distractions to keep us from great ones? 1 Corinthians 7.35 puts it this way. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. Watch this. With as few distractions as possible. I want you to serve the Lord as best as you can. But before you can do that, you've got to make sure that you are as least distracted as possible. And how do you get as least distracted as possible? By saying no to good things so that you can say yes to good ones. Number two, every opportunity must be evaluated. Every opportunity that comes your way in life must be thought through and evaluated. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, test everything and keep only what is good. So what does that mean? It, It means this, like, okay, if I date this girl and I look into her family background and her history, or if I date this guy, how is this going to play out? Where we actually thoroughly think through this relationship before we just jump into, oh, he's hot, yes. (laughs) Right? Many of us don't process. We've lost this art of thinking through decisions. We just say, oh, that looks amazing, I'll do that. Oh, this could probably make me money. Yes, without ever thinking through it, every opportunity has to be evaluated. Because here's the thing that we don't realize, and I'm so guilty of this. I say yes so many times with failing how that's going to affect my family. By me saying yes to this opportunity, I did not weigh out the consequences, the negative consequences that it was going to have. Oh, I didn't realize that I wasn't going to be home three days a week. Oh, I didn't realize by me saying yes to this that I was going to be so overloaded and so burdened down and stressed out by the time that I get home. I don't have any time or energy for my family because I'm spent, right? Because I didn't evaluate the opportunities that were presented in front of me. So how do we evaluate the opportunities? Real quickly, number one, you got to figure this out. What do I need to know and who knows it? What do I need to know about this opportunity? And who knows something about it? So here's what I mean by this. 75% of businesses fail within the first five years. 95% of churches fail within the first year. So here's the thing. If you have a passion to go start a business, you need to read everything that you can about that. You need to know as much as you can before you go out and do this. You need to talk to other people who have been there. But what you see so many times when people that start businesses or they take opportunities, you're just like, I'm passionate about it, so I'm just going to jump into it. How many of you know passion does not get you to run a good business? (laughs) Passion does not make you a good leader. At the end of the day, you have to evaluate the decisions that you're going to make. But what often happens, this is what it usually looks like. Just because you like donuts does not mean that you should open a donut shop. (laughs) Dude, I'm just passionate about donuts. I think I should open a store. Have you ever run a business in your life? You know, before I we started this church, I literally, and this is not an exaggeration. I probably had 
50 to 60 meetings with people in this city, just sitting down, drinking coffee. Tell me about Crowley. What are the people like? What is the city like? I wanted to learn about the government. I wanted to know everything that I possibly could. And I'm not saying that I figured everything out. But I was like, what am I getting into? And I knew going into ministry that there was going to be um, things that I would have to sacrifice, things that I would have to give up. But here was, the, here was the thing. I was aware of those things. So whenever it came around, it didn't like crush me, right? Because I was aware of what I was getting into. In other words, don't just say yes because you love something. Proverbs 18, 13. I just love how some of the Proverbs put it. It says, it is stupid to decide before knowing the facts. <laughs> I love that proverb. You're an idiot if you don't know the facts. <laughs> in other words, another proverb puts it this way. Get all the advice you can and you'll succeed. Without it, you will fail. <laughs> Thanks. Proverbs 11. With many counselors, I love this, there's safety. So when you dive into an opportunity, you need to know. What do I need to know and who knows it? Number two, what might be the unintended consequences of me making this decision or taking this opportunity? Maybe, maybe you're at a place and you're saying, man, I've got to get out of this town. Let's pack up, let's move. This town is just killing me. This city is killing me. I, I know if I just get out of Crowley and I go move somewhere else, like I'm going to be great. Here's the problem. When you pack up, you take yourself with you. You are the problem. <laughs> it's not the city. It's not the town. You are. So you got to evaluate these things. What I mean by this is how will this impact your relationship, your kids, your marriage, your spiritual life, by you taking this opportunity? It may seem like a good opportunity, but have you considered the consequences? And here's the truth. Just because that decision has consequences doesn't mean that you shouldn't take it. Sometimes you just got to, at least you got to know the consequences. When we planted this church, I knew going into this what the consequences would be. Everybody wasn't going to like me. Not everybody would enjoy this church. Not everybody would agree with everything that we do. I knew that there would be nights away from my family, but we knew these things were coming. But if I would have went into this Without knowing what those things are, what would have happened? I would have got bitter, right? I would have been upset. I would have been angry. I probably would have quit. There are consequences to every decision you make, good or bad. And not to be aware of these things is just simply what Proverbs says. It's stupid. Now, as I said earlier, I'm not saying that you avoid every decision that has negative consequences. but you need to know what they are. Proverbs 22.3 puts it this way. A wise man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them. A fool goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So a wise man says, okay, by me making this decision, because I've done the research, because I've talked to other people, these are probably the things that are going to happen. If I marry this person, if, if I start this business, if I get into this relationship, this is what's going to happen. Expect for the best and plan for the worst. Expect for the best and plan for the worst. Number three, every time you make a decision or you accept an opportunity, this is what you have to pass it through. What's my motivation? Why am I doing this? 
See, God is much more concerned with why you do what you do. He cares more about what motivates you. What is your motivation behind accepting this opportunity or going out and doing this thing? Philippians says this, Never let selfishness or pride be the guide when you do things. Are you making decisions because your ego needs to be boosted? Are you making decisions because somebody said that you would never amount to anything and you go, oh, I'll prove to them that I can. See, if your motivation is tainted, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Are you making decisions because you don't want your pride to be hurt? Or are you making decisions because you got hurt and you want to hurt somebody else? See, what's your motivation? What is it? I I sat with somebody the other day, it doesn't even go to this church, um, and they're, they're saying something along the lines of, man, I've just been growing in my relationship with Jesus, and I think God has really revealed to me, because of the things that we've gone through, that I need to leave my husband. Well, I mean, are we serving the same God here? What, what are you talking about? And when you get into the deeper parts of it, you begin to realize the only reason that you want to do this is because he hurt you, and so this is your opportunity to hurt him back, right? What is your motivation in the decisions that you're making? Are you making a decision out of pain? Are you making a decision out of guilt? Are you making the decision because you feel like God told you this is the right decision? What is your motivation? You know, a few years ago when I, when I worked in the, the, the video and film industry, I, I can honestly tell you my motivation was clearly selfish. I remember my wife... Um, when, when I was searching for jobs at the time, and I'm looking, and she's like, man, could you just possibly just try to get a job like, closer to home? And my mind was so set on, I had so much pride where it was like, I can't, I can't see myself working at like Starbucks or something, right? I can't go work at some, at best, like I got to be doing something significant, right? And so I was willing to make these negative sacrifices towards my family. This meant me traveling and leaving for extended periods of time. I worked in Baton Rouge and I was barely ever home. And my motivation to accepting and taking this job is for status and acclaim. When people would say, what do you do? I get to say, oh, I I travel the world. I make videos and, you know, I'm cool. (laughs) Right? And it sounds stupid saying it now, but to be honest with you, most of us do the same thing. We're not in a job because we're fulfilling our purpose. We're doing it because we want it to feed our ego. We want it to feed our pride. And I'm not saying that you need to quit your job. Oftentimes, we just need to realign our affections and our motivations of why we do the things that we do. I probably could have stayed in the film industry, and I'm sure that God could have used me in it. But I know for a fact, for me to be able to do it for his glory and his kingdom, my motivations would have had to be realigned. See, my motivation was title, status, acclaim, approval of others. I wanted to be able to walk into a room and feel important. Right? We all want that. But those motivations, here's the truth, they don't last long. And here's what I learned. For a few months, I was so proud of what I did, right? I could walk into a room, and I always had a cool story. Yeah, I was... I was you know, I was in Montana this week, or I was over here this week, and I got to see this this week, and we were in Colorado, and I got to do all those things. You know what? The crazy thing about those motivations is they died off really quick. And then reality set in, 
to the decisions that I had made and the fact that I was gone all the time and away from home and I can never really tell them, hey, I'm going to be back. I think I'm going to be back Thursday, but then like a week later would go by and I'm still not back, right? See, those motivations don't last long. The only motivations that last are the ones that are bigger than you. Are the ones that step outside of yourself and say, I'm living my life on purpose for something that is larger than me. I'm concerned about leaving a legacy. Jesus even puts it this way. If you want to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambitions, shoulder your cross, and then follow me. He even says, look, if you want to follow me, it can't be out of the wrong motivations. He says, you need to die to yourself and what you want, and you surrender to what I want, and then I'll give you what you want. The fourth thing that you need to ask yourself in evaluating these opportunities is, does this fit my purpose and my calling? Luke 9, 62 puts, it says this, Anyone who lets himself be distraction, distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's a strong verse. See, we remain distracted from our purpose when we are focused watching others fulfill their own purpose. Here's what's so dangerous. I'll just be honest with you. Here's what's so dangerous about the rise of multimedia and social media is so many of us are so busy living vicariously through somebody else's life that we're not living our own. Here's what I mean. As you scroll through Facebook, you're like, oh, I wish I had their life. I wish I could live their life. I wish I could go and see the things that they did. I wish I could purchase and buy the things that they do. And look at their life. It looks so awesome. How many of you know we always post the best parts of ourselves on social media? It's the highlight reel of life. It's the best part of life. We usually post like the encouragement after we've got out of the horrible storm. We, we like to say things like, man, you know, God is just faithful and he's so good to me. And if you're discouraged today, then, you know, just trust in God. And that's great. I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. But there's usually like three weeks behind that post, isn't there? Three weeks of hell that you just walk through. And you're not posting that side, right? Life sucks. I want to quit. <laughs> We're usually not posting that. So this opportunity, when you're staring at decisions, does it fit my purpose? Does it fit my calling? Stop envying others and start asking God to help you discover your own purpose. I don't know about you, but a few years ago, especially when we started this, I just got to a place where I was sick and tired of living vicariously through hearing other great stories of God moving in other people's lives, where I got to a place where I was like, man, I want to have my own story. I want to have my own story of faith. I want to have my own story of where I trusted God and God came through for me. I don't want to just be excited and clap for somebody else's story. Like God is writing your story. He has a purpose and he has a calling for your life. But so many of us are so caught up living through somebody else that we're not living out our own purpose and our own calling. Ephesians 4.1 says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Some of you need to allow that to sink in this morning. Life is just, maybe it's just dragged you through the mud. Maybe you've been dealt a bad card, a bad hand in life. Maybe you didn't have the easiest childhood. Maybe you didn't have parents that were there for you. 
Maybe you didn't feel like you had everything that you needed to succeed in life. Listen to me. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. It says It actually says in Ephesians chapter 1, before the world was ever created, that he predestined you for a calling and a purpose, that he thought about you and said, I created this man, this woman, for a specific purpose, for a calling. He didn't create any of us just to say, yeah, I just put them down there just to waste space <laughs> so that we could grow the population. Every single person in this room has a calling. Every single person in this room has a purpose. And you have a decision to make this morning. Do you want to just live a good life or do you want to live a great life? Do you want to settle for second best or do you want to settle for what God has for you? The fifth thing that you've got to ask yourself when you're making these decisions is, is this the best use of my time and energy? I'll be honest with you, I fail at this one a lot. Is this the best use of my time and energy? So 1 Corinthians puts it this way, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, and not everything is constructive. So let me explain what what he means by this. So you could spend 10 hours of your day watching TV or surfing the internet, and it's not technically sinful, but is it constructive? Is it something that adds value to your life? Could you step back away from there and you're just like, man, I killed it today. (laughs) Like I was just on point, on purpose. I was living a life where I feel like God was just pleased with that. If you only have one life to live, is it really wise to waste your times on things that don't add value to your life? And I'm not saying that there ever can't be seasons or moments in your day where you relax and, you know, you take some time for yourself to recoup and to recover and to rest. I'm not saying there can't be those things. But when you see yourself for extended periods of time almost trying to escape life, and giving your time and energy to things that just take you out of reality so that you can forget about the state of your life, is that adding any value to your life at all? The answer is probably no. The third thing that I've learned here in this life is opportunities come when I least expect them. (laughs) Opportunities often come when I least expect them. I found out about me being able to have the opportunity to start this church literally through like a conversation. I walk into a meeting with a bunch of pastors and some elders sitting in a room. I'm doing my everyday thing. I was, at the time, I was leading worship in Jennings. My dad buzzes in on the little phone. Hey, come to our office. I'm not thinking anything of it. Sit down and see all these people in the room and I know two things. I'm either really in trouble, (laughs) which was usually back then really possible. (laughs) I'm either like seriously in trouble or like something good's about to happen, but I'm thinking the first one. So I'm trying to, you know, when you sit down in a room where you see all these people staring at you, you're trying to evaluate, all right, what did I do? (laughs) Who did I anger? Who did I make mad? Who did I frustrate? I know that dude doesn't like me. And you're going through all these things, right? And they're like, hey, we've been praying, we've been thinking, and we, we've, you know, we've talked about the Crowley campus, and hey, we think you're the guy to do it. 
And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, hold on. I was just in a room editing a video, and now I'm in a room saying that you think that we should start a church. So in that moment, see, great opportunities come when you least expect them. But here's the truth. If you're ready for them, you can say yes to them. But if you're so overwhelmed and so beaten down by life when you have great opportunities presented to you, if you're in a bad state spiritually, you don't even realize it. You don't even realize the opportunity that God has just put in your lap because you're so burnt out. Because you're so frustrated, you're so aggravated with life. When God presents great opportunities to you, you can't even see his provision for your life. See, if I would have been in a bad place spiritually in that moment, I, I could have just said something like, no, it's not, a, it's not a good time. Opportunities come when I least expect them. Matthew 24, 44. You must be ready all the time, for I will come when least expected. Maybe you remember the story of Joseph. Anybody remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Let me, let me recap. Joseph, he's the youngest brother, and he's got a bunch of older brothers, and he's also the favorite in the family. How, just show of hands, how many of you are the favorite in the family? Anybody in here? You prideful people. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I am the favorite. You know, I like to say that. I usually am. Um, Joseph was the favorite in his family. Well, Joseph goes to bed one night, and he has this dream. Now keep in mind, he's the youngest guy in the family. He has this dream. He wakes up. He runs to his father and all of his brothers. He says, listen, I had this amazing dream. In my dream, everybody was bowing down to me. You imagine saying that to your older brothers like, bro, you were bowing down to me and I was your king. You'd be like, dude, get out of here, right? You are psychotic. Joseph has this dream, and his, and his brothers begin to become jealous and become, begin to become angry. Because he has this dream where he's saying, he's boasting, like, you guys are going to bow down to me. And so in this moment of anger, in this moment of frustration, Joseph's older brothers say, you know what? Let's get rid of Joseph. Let's just take him out of the equation. So what they do is they dig, they drop him into this hole, and they say, look, let's not kill him because we can actually profit off of him. Let's sell him into slavery. So they sell Joseph into slavery. He gets shipped off into Egypt. He's a slave. Now I want you to keep in mind something here. Joseph has this dream just a few days before he gets sold off. He has this dream that one day he's going to be great, that one day he's going to be this great person in Egypt. He's going to rule and he's going to be like this king. And he's excited about it. He's like, man, I'm just excited about God's dream that he's placed in my life. And then the very next day, the dude gets thrown in a pit and sold into slavery. How many of you know that would be like a spoiler of your dreams? You're like, God gave me this dream from heaven. I'm going to be great in the nation. Oh, dang, I'm a slave now. He gets sold off into slavery. Well, then he meets this guy named Potiphar. And he kind of works his way up in the ranks and he becomes Potiphar's, one of Potiphar's servants and Potiphar really likes him. So he gets to work in Potiphar's house and he, he kind of lives this nice, luxurious life. And well, Potiphar's wife makes a move on Joseph. Saying, look, you're young, you're attractive. 
And so what does she do? She's trying to convince Joseph to sleep with her. And it says in this moment, like, when he's in this moment, Joseph loves God. And he says, i got to get out of here. And, and the wife grabs Joseph's robe and tears it off. And the brother is running through the town naked. What did he do? He ran away from there. Did he do anything? No. But what ends up happening in that moment? He went from being having a dream, sold into slavery, working his way back up to the ranks of going, okay, maybe this dream is going to be a reality now. Maybe Potiphar, Potiphar will be my inroad to something. And all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife tries to make a move on Joseph. And now Potiphar's wife is angry that Joseph refused, and she accuses him of rape. So Potiphar says, no, this, this is just not going to happen. Even though Joseph was innocent, Joseph gets thrown into prison. Years go by. Joseph is rotting in prison. You got a cupbearer and a baker that used to serve Pharaoh. And they had got thrown in prison because they couldn't interpret some dreams for Pharaoh. And they had these dreams, and Joseph begins to interpret the dreams in prison. And then these two guys go back to Pharaoh after they get taken out of prison, the cupbearer and the baker. And years go by, and Joseph is just rotting in prison, and he's forgotten about. Now, I want you to think about something. Do you think, through everything that he's been through, do you think that, I mean, his dream's got to be dead, right? Sold into slavery. He's accused of something that he did not do. He's thrown into prison. He's interpreting people's dreams. He's showing people, look, I have value. Then he's left in prison to, to rot. Well, one day Pharaoh has a dream, and he can't interpret it. And he's bringing all the wisest people in Egypt to try to interpret this dream. And the cupbearer remembers, oh, wait, hold on. There's this guy, Joseph, in prison that interpreted my dream. Maybe he can do it for you. So Joseph, they take him out of prison, and they bring him to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, listen, can you interpret my dream? Joseph begins to interpret the dream, and Pharaoh likes the guy so much, he says, listen, you will be over all of Egypt. There will be nobody over you except for myself. Now, I want you to understand something. In a matter of literally a moment of interpreting a dream, he went from a slave to somebody who was rotting in prison to somebody that was accused of something that he never did. In a matter of a moment, because he was ready, he became the second most powerful man in Egypt. Do you know how much time had passed since he had had that dream to when he had actually got fulfilled? Forty years. You know what happens in the very next few chapters? Because Joseph had interpreted the dream, and, and the dream was that, that Egypt was going to go through a famine, and so Pharaoh had been storing grain and food, and Joseph was over-distributing the food to all the people. Well, guess who comes to town to get food? Joseph's brothers, and his brothers don't even recognize him, and they realize that he is this powerful man, and they bow down before him. And in this moment, Joseph realizes, my dream has come true. Now, I want you to understand something. Joseph went from the pit to the palace, all because he was ready for an opportunity when it came. Forty years, Joseph endured hell, but God reordered his life in 24 hours because he was prepared and ready. 
Listen, just because you have a dream that has died, don't put a limit on God. Oftentimes, oftentimes, whenever God gives you a dream, whenever God shows you a vision, whenever God says, this is my purpose and this is my plan for your life, oftentimes you're going to walk through hell before you get there. Why? Because when you finally get into the place where you can walk in and you can live the dream that God has for you, you have the character to sustain you. God has sharpened you. He's pruned you. Think how good of a leader Joseph would have been. Man, I've been through slavery. I've been through accusations. I've been through rejection where my, my brothers didn't want me. I've been through all kinds of things. The dude knew how to talk to people. He knew how to lead people. Just because life dealt you a bad hand does not mean God's dream for your life is dead. Look at the story of Joseph. And there's many more stories of like that all throughout the scriptures. The fourth thing that I've learned is I must stay flexible and stay ready. <laughs> this is the story of our church. If you've been on the inside of this church and, and helping to lead this, you know this is just, we've had to be so flexible. There's always been a curveball thrown away or we thought something was going to happen and it didn't happen or whatever it was. But here's, here's the truth. You have to come to a place in your relationship with God where you say, God, you have flexibility to do whatever you want. But if you have it all bullet pointed out, like, God, I want you to do this, then God, after you finish this one, I want you to go to this one. All right? Because I have this process of how it needs to work. And God, I'll just tell you something. God doesn't care about your process. God's saying, can you be flexible? And I'm going to take you through it, and you better be ready. And it's going to burn, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to suck, and you're going to scream, God, why? But God says, you know what? I'm a good father, and I know what you need to get you to the place that you need to be. We've got to be flexible. The truth is we miss opportunities because we are so task-driven, we don't create room for flexibility. One of the phrases that you'll never hear at this church is, we've always done it that way, so that's how we're always going to do it. You'll never hear that here. Those are the six words of a dying church. We're always going to change. We're always going to do it different. Why? God's a flexible God. God wants us to not just get comfortable and settle Proverbs 10.5 puts it this way. This is a message. It says, make hay while the sun shines. I love that. Make hay while the sun shines. What is he saying in there? He said, make use of every opportunity that comes your way. Here's the truth. This is what I've learned over the past few years. If you're not flexible, you will end up carrying out your plans and miss out on God's plan. If you're not flexible and you don't allow God room in your life, here's what happens. You carry out what you want for your life rather than what God wants for your life. And that's a dangerous place to be in. Proverbs 13, 9 says this, It is pleasant to see our plans develop. That is why fools refuse to give them up when they are wrong. See, God has a better plan for your life than you have for your life. The truth is you'll never find your God-given purpose outside of God's family. Let me close with this. Over the next few weeks, I want you to fully buy into this vision. What we've been trying to instill into you guys the past three weeks. 
that you were created for more. That you were created to leave a legacy. Like God has more for your life than just simply breathing and occupying space. The most fulfilled life to live is a life that attaches itself to a purpose that is greater than our own purpose for our life. If anything, the greatest thing that I would love to leave behind for this church is that I can encourage people to get to a place where they say, you know what, I'm I'm not going to settle in my life. I'm not just going to say, well, this is it. This is all God has for me. See, whatever you think that you could accomplish on your own, you can always do more when you're surrounded by other people. Allow people to push you. Allow God to encourage you. If you're not a part of a family, we would love to welcome you into one. We'd love for you to be a part of this community where we can help shape you and guide you and lead you. And we're not going to be a perfect family, just like your family isn't perfect. How many of you know, if you know anything about family, it's, it's always got the crazy uncle, right? <laughs> it's always got the aunt that you don't want to see or the grandfather that maybe has a little bit too much whiskey at Christmas, right? Whatever it may be. And I'm, I'm not claiming in any kind of way that we're going to be a perfect family, but I can promise you this, we will be a family that constantly points you to Jesus that we'll love you, we'll own our mistakes when we make them, because there will be many. I just want you to be connected to something. And listen, the best thing that you could do, the best thing that you could do is we live in a world that does not like to make commitments. We live in a world that, that has their priorities out of order and out of whack. One of the best things that you could do for your children is commit. Every Sunday, we're gonna be here. No matter what, it's not a baseball game. There's not something that is going to take us away from being here because at the end of the day, feeling God's purpose and God's plan is the most important thing in our life. I want to encourage you to commit. Give it everything that you've got and say, God, we're going to be here no matter what.